I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so thrilled to have my next guest here. I've been wanting to get him on the show for a while, and uh finally worked out. So I'm really, really thrilled to have Eric Ryan here, who is a co-founder of many companies. You may know him. Probably the most well-known is Method, but he's now the co-founder and CEO of an incredible company called Cast. Um, He's also uh, been busy doing a few other brands that you may know, including Ollie Welly as well. And he's a disruptor, he's a brander, he's entered industries that are needing innovation when people didn't even know they were needing innovation. I've so admired Eric for a while. He's also a Marin County fellow, founder, entrepreneur, so, so, so thrilled to have him here. So welcome, Eric. Thank you for having me. I feel tired after hearing all all of that (laughs) going on, as well as chasing three kids. And I love the fact that we are both neighbors and we both make love making little physical objects. Yeah, no, definitely. So I want to hear a little bit more about your backstory. I First of all, I read your book. It was years ago that your book came out, right? And uh, I've read it a few times. I mean, it's really so, so inspirational. But uh, tell me a little bit about who you were as a kid. Who was Eric? Uh, super annoying to both my parents, neighbors, and anybody else I was trying to sell something to. You know, I... I was really, I don't know if it's lucky or unlucky, but in the third grade, I knew what I wanted to be, which was uh, an entrepreneur. So I was that kid who was always working on a a business plan or selling a new idea. I did everything from making and selling buttons, you know, with those like really bad, like stock catalog of, uh, um, to putting people's photos into it, to trying to make hockey nets out of PVC. And um, even those inventor submissions, I would constantly send my ideas in. So from a very early age, I knew what I wanted to do, which was the start stuff. That's amazing. But you went into advertising, right? Yeah, I think I read so many books on entrepreneurs as a kid. And my big takeaway was the chances of success on your first try was pretty, pretty low. And so my belief was I should establish my career, create a little bit of a safety net before I would uh, have the confidence to, to try to launch my first company. So uh, it started in advertising in London. That's wild. So that was your first job right out of school? First job, super lucky. Um, I got an internship at an agency in London that had this thing called a planning department. And um, the principals were Irish. I had an Irish last name. I think they enjoyed seeing uh, <laughs> how drunk they could get me at the pub uh, d- during lunch breaks. Uh, but I fell into this thing called account planning, which is what you live between consumer insight and creativity. And it's kind of been my magic trick of my career ever since. That's wild. So you were in advertising for a while. And then what was the plunge into entrepreneurship? I mean, what, how did you decide like, okay, now it's time and what was it? 
Yeah, it was really falling in love with an idea and having the confidence to follow it. Um, like I said, I always had ideas. Um, my colleagues would make fun of me. I think I, I sent Richard Branson when I was living in London an idea for ultimately what became vitamin water. Um, so I was always, always like churning on ideas. And, you know, the concept for method really um, through a series of like confidence building steps, um, you know, led me to take the leap in and to do it. Um, I think there's a myth that entrepreneurs are risk taker. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote, wrote this great piece years ago that um, actually successful entrepreneurs are not risk takers. They look for sure bets. Mm -hmm. um, and that was very much the case for me of once I landed the concept for method, um, I fundamentally believed it was a sure bet, but I knew the probability of executing it to success was really, really low. That's, and so for people who aren't familiar with method, they've been living under a rock or in some uh, faraway island with no communication, no target stores. Uh, so share a little bit more about why that product was different. Yeah. I mean, at the time, um, there's, you know, so I, I, what I do is I, I love, and I've been doing over and over, I love finding these like really big categories that have missed what I would call a cultural shift. And so that was the model I was working on for methods. So I just started looking at that home clean aisle and this is back, like really dating myself, but you know, at the turn of the century in 2000, and it was a sea of sameness, you know, everything looked pretty much the same and it was all pretty ugly. Right. And so the first clue was like, huh, you look at it just so more than you use it. And this was the time like lifestyle of the home was really taking off. What if we position these, these products as lifestyle products and almost more like decor in your home? But there was a problem with that, which is at the time you were asked to pollute when you clean, you were asked to use poison to make your home healthier. So we were going to leave little bottles of pretty poison on everybody's countertop. So there was a culture, second culture shift, which was sustainability. And so what Adam Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options. Keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart? Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices. Snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part? Each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 
How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. And I put together was we really reimagined what home care could look like uh, by making it a better experience through great design and um, high sustainability. And of course, then we brought fragrance and all the ways to make the chore of cleaning, you know, a little less of a chore. Mm-hmm. No, incredible. And then you sold method. Um, uh, like how many years later, I always like to share this with entrepreneurs who think that they're going to, you know, flip a company and, you know, a couple months yeah. or, you know, it's all going to be I mean, great. every overnight success story is, is, is 10 years, right? Uh, for us, it was about 12 years to, to liquidity. Um, it's funny too, like every year soul, I always, I hate the phrase soul because I feels like it's like selling out. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think of it more of we, you know, we recapitalize the company with a larger sponsor to to really scale it to the next stage and unfill more of its uh, help fill more of its potential. That's it, no, it's amazing. It's such a great great story. So, the biggest lesson you learned while running Method? Mm. God, so many lessons because we made so many mistakes. You know, we were absolute rookies at this. We didn't know how to make a product, how to sell a product. And we were just very fortunate that all of our dumb mistakes, none of them killed us mm-hmm. um, along the way. But I think the the biggest um, for me was just the power of culture. And 
I came out of advertising where culture is really, really important because your people are your assets. And so you try to create a culture that allows you to recruit the best talent, unleash their ability, but also in a place that clients want to come spend time. You know, you're kind of the cool kids in the world of marketing. So um, I kind of just took that for granted that, of course, you know, when you build great companies, you build great cultures. And in the beginning, we always say we had the secret sauce, but nobody had the recipe. Um, how to really scale a culture and nurture it, um, for me, was the biggest lesson I learned that at the end of the day, your culture really is your only competitive advantage. Yeah, that's awesome. And you had built an amazing, amazing culture. So I think it's also in a city like San Francisco, too, where, you know, you have to you're competing against tech companies that are also really interested in having lots of uh, perks, right? So uh, you guys did an incredible job of that. And I've, I met many people along the way who loved working for you at Method for sure. Yeah, I get Tom Fishburne on one of my favorite yeah, favorite people I've ever had the opportunity of, of working with. But no, and it's, I think also what's re- rewarding is how many people left Method to go on to start their own companies or do really, really great things. And it was a testament to how lucky we were, we were of the quality of talent we had at that time. Well, I think you speak to something that is, uh, you know, definitely near and dear to my heart is that, I, you know, so many people have left Chant over the years and then they've gone on to do really, really great things too. And I think, you know, it so often you, I think when you first get your, your first person to leave, you know, you, I, I took it personally, right? Like, did you do something wrong? Right. And then you see that, you know, you're actually creating and growing these amazing people that maybe later you find out um, you know, that they're going off and doing even better things than what they were doing when they first left your company. But how do you feel about that as, as well? As a founder, I think that the two kind of hardest moments is, you know, losing talent either because it's your choice or their choice. Mm-hmm. So when someone resigns to me, the first thing I always do is try to put them at ease and say, congrats. And really, you know, cause you know that they are just like, especially if they've been with you for a long time, it is so hard for them and they are so nervous to resign. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing I always do is put somebody at ease, tell them congrats and remind them at the end of the day, everybody's got to do what's right for their career and their family. And I fully honor and appreciate that. And I immediately, you know, of course you want to see if there's anything you can do to retain them, but assuming that's not the case, um, you know, I always immediately am just incredibly gracious for their contribution of what they've done. And my, my attitude is it's, it's not goodbye. It's, um, see you later. Yeah. And hopefully we'll have the opportunity to work together again. And I've now had that on multiple, I, I've got, God, one person I've worked with at three companies now. That's amazing. And so I think at the end of the day, as a founder and a leader, it's most important to always support people and what's right for them. And always a lot easier than being on the other side when um, they're leaving, but it's it's not their choice. Yeah, um, those are usually the hardest moments I think as a founder. No, definitely. So you have created amazing, amazing, memorable design in all of the products that you've been involved in that you've co-founded. So after Method, you went on to Ollie and then Welly. What is the importance of design in products? I mean, how do you? 
when people are coming up with with design for products, I mean, how much time should they spend on making sure that it's right? I mean, I will argue in all the companies I've started, design is the number one competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. I am such a huge geek on the application of design, particularly within consumer products. And, you know, what I love about the power of design, you know, think about the phrase, seeing is believing. The great design allows you to immediately, you know, reframe a category experience and it's instant, right? The second a consumer sees it or experiences it, that feeling is there. And nothing has the power to create an emotional connection um, as quick and as deep as great design. It, it just it blows me away, you know, whether you're walking a grocery store or just looking at, you know, any category, how much crappy design there is out there or how yeah. unconsidered things are. And so it's so easy to really invest in empower great creatives. Um, to, to disrupt the category. Um, I'm still, you know, look at the, we live in a digital world where that entire visual expression is nothing but design. So yeah, I, um, it's our number one competitive advantage. I look to create companies where I know I can leverage design to, to really break through. The CFOs that get it, get it. And the CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the chief financial officer. Today's CFO is critical to the strategy and success of the business. And in growing companies, there are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes, errors, and lack of visibility into the numbers, and it takes weeks to close those books. The other kind is on top of their game, automated reporting, Inventory, e-commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly, and insights coming in with the click of a button. NetSuite is the perfect program to help you manage your business better, whether it's financial modeling or inventory management. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system that provides everything you need to grow your business, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books on time. From HR to budgeting to financials, NetSuite is the platform for scaling your business. Over 29,000 businesses already use NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash Kara for special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash Kara, netsuite.com slash Kara. I totally agree with you. I mean, I think even... You know, when we were launching Hint, uh, we ended up, we have a patent on this bottle um, that, you know, again, it may not uh, look like a totally different bottle to a lot of people, but the feel and the touch of it and all of those things, the um, the wider mouth, um, all of those things were things that we just geeked out on that we didn't, you know, you don't get an opportunity to really talk about that necessarily in, in uh and when you are talking about your company every single day, but I, I believe me, I know as a, as a founder and as somebody, as a creator where those things, I totally agree with you. So important. So let's talk about cast. So what is cast? So cast goes back to my model, which is I look for these like really big categories that I think have missed a cultural shift. And I've always dreamed of actually, you know, I've been working for years with, with retailers like Target. 
And I've always dreamed of being the retailer, which is a little bit of, you know, the grass is always greener. Mm -hmm. And, um, but just the idea to fully own that, that experience and expression. So when a consumer walks in the door, the light, the scent, the music, the touch, the fact that you can control that entire experience, like to me, that's a challenge I always wanted to take on. And we did some really cool pop shops. We were way ahead of our time on Method. And those were always some of my my favorite kind of marketing moments is when we were building physical retail. So I've never walked into a jewelry store and felt like it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the salesperson is very much in control. They're on the other side of the, the counter. Um, all information comes out of their mouth. And of course, if you want to know the price, they have to go flip over like the world's smallest price tag. And then you have to give a reaction to, oh, is that a thousand or 20,000? So I just, you know, shopping for jewelry, I always thought whether it's for yourself or for a gift should be one of the best retail experiences. And the reality is it's the worst retail experience. And so that was the kind of the, the clue to dig here. Um, we launched online uh, in October and we're in the process of getting ready to open up our first physical store, which will actually be here in Marin. I want it to be in our backyard. It's our you know first Tinker store, um, but it's going to go into the village of Corte Madera where the former Lacetane was. Oh, and okay. um, I am a little bit late this summer and I am just so excited to like actually try being the retailer. That's amazing. And so are you actually creating the jewelry then, or are you bringing everyone else's jewelry into a space? No, thankfully, uh, I am not designing jewelry, nor should I ever be near it. Um, You know, the real insight here is that the growth in fine jewelry is being driven by women self-purchasing. But yet you still have these, you know, pretty, you know, dusted luxury brands that still treat jewelry as a gift to be given most frequently from a man to a woman as an expression of love. Mm-hmm. Um, so the model that we're doing is it's really about creating a playground for women for self-purchasing fine jewelry. And the way the product's been brought to life is we're working with all independent um, women jewelry designers and everything is essentially, it's all under our brand, but um, each one is packaged into a different story um, that's been designed by by this um, uh, jewelry designer. And I think what we're getting really excited too is we're going to start working with our first women artists who have not been in the medium of jewelry. So Wendy Chin, uh, a great San Francisco artist here, she does these you know amazing rope installations. So she's never done jewelry before, and um, we're translating her work into into jewelry because at the end of the day, it, jewelry is just really wearable art. Um, it's the ultimate expression of creativity and artistry. And so that's a huge part of what CAS is about is, is really bringing this to life for women. That's incredible. So you talked about stories a little bit, and obviously the stories uh, behind the brand uh, on some of the brands that you've been involved with to date. What do you think the importance is of, of stories to consumers? I I think you've shown us that design is really critical and uh but how do you think stories fall into it the most impactful way to communicate as human beings is through the power of story right Mm -hmm. and you know you're in the communication business as well and you know that if you really want to motivate somebody and connect with them deeply the power of story is always the best approach and you and i come from these like really basic categories you know like doing soap and vitamins and bandages and like 
not a lot of opportunity for stories. We've had to work really, really hard um, to bring forward great stories. And, you know, Method was a great story. You had, you know, two guys who were not known for their cleanliness living in a dirty flat in San Francisco to, to try to, to, you know, create a cleaning revolution. Like that was a great story and a very authentic one as well. So I've always just been a huge fan um, of great storytelling when you're building a brand. And that was part of the attraction of cast is people buy and wear jewelry for great stories. Like think about your favorite pieces. Um, There's a story connected to that. And so I saw it as a much richer area to build a brand and do it through great storytelling. And as you, even if you go on our site today and you know, like the Italian heist and this idea that we have a getaway ring that flips four different ways. Um, so we're really trying to infuse story into uh, everything that we do. Yeah, no, I I see it. And I think you guys have done a great job. And I'm so excited to see where Cast goes with this because I, I see the the nuggets of how different this is than what anyone else has done in that industry. So so one of the questions that I ask of every founder and CEO is to share a story, uh, really a, a challenge or a failure along the way where you were, you know, you thought this is it, we're done. Um, you know, and we we've all had them, right? Where it's either funding or kicked out in our case, we were kicked out of Starbucks after a year and a half, you know, where we had all this product that was going to go bad. I mean, all of these like different stories along the way, but I'd love to hear one of your stories and what was the ultimate lesson that was learned from the experience? You know, I, I'll give you the choice because every company I founded, other than Welly, because that's kind of started off a little bit more as a side project, but the three companies I founded so far, all of them ended up having to handle a crisis. Uh, so I'll give you the choice. So we've got Method, uh, 9-11. We've got Ollie in the middle of a divorce for myself. And we've got Cast um, with the plan to launch pre-COVID physical retail. So I'll give you the choice. You pick the brand, I'll give you the story. Method. All right. So... You know, Method is such an unlikely story. At the time, it was unheard of to launch a CPG brand and, you know, do it quickly with scale. So the, the one of the crises, there's many crises through getting Method off the ground, but probably the best one was when we launched at Target. So um, when we first approached Target, we, we kind of piggybacked off a distributor uh, to get a meeting. And... Um, at the end of the pitch, the buyer who is pretty senior, it's like, yeah, it's like, guys, he's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like, I, I, I just don't get it. He's like, I don't like the name. I don't like the colors. I'm not sure the size of the bottle is right. He's like, I hate to say it, but it, it's a snowball's chance in hell. So we were like dumb and dumber. You're like, so you're saying there's a chance. And, you know, one of the first lessons as an entrepreneur is like you, you know, the road forward, I think often always looks less, less scary than the road backwards. You know, mm-hmm. you've committed so much. And so we were dead in the water. And the problem was we just raised our series A. We shot off our mouth saying that we would get target. You know, they're about design. We're about design. We couldn't see why they wouldn't want to work with us. And um, we really could not see a way to scale this business without a national player. 
um, grocery and drug is a very expensive class of trade. And we were pretty much losing money on every bottle we made at, at this point. We were priced pretty high. Um, so we just started working with Karen Rashid, who's you know very famous industrial designer. I knew Target had an interest in working with them. So I used Target. I used Karim to get a a meeting with Target Marketing, who then on top of it invited the buyers to come, who come who came pretty, you know, disgruntled because we essentially went over their head. Hmm. And we really laid out, you know, we made a huge investment with Karim and we just designed our entire vision for what where we thought we could take this category. And we got, you know, with any success story, there were so many lucky breaks. And one of them was that um somebody in the meeting from marketing. Her name was Sally Mueller. She stood up at the end. She's like, this is perfect. She's like, it's great for our guests. It's not like laid out the case. So the buyers had no choice but to give us a test. So they gave us a 90 store test, Chicago uh, area in Northern California. And they're like, all you have to do, they put us on end cap. They're like, hit this number and you're good to go. Well, week after week, we're missing the number. And one of our big challenges were we launched this beautiful Karen Rashid dish soap that uh, came out the bottom. And unfortunately, it wasn't designed quite right. So when consumers were trying to to smell it, the cap wasn't going back on. So we were like raining dish soap over everything. So I spent weeks driving from Target store to Target store, cleaning up dish soap, doing passing out coupons, doing everything we could um, to make it work. And we were just you know badly missing the number that we needed to move forward. So at the end of the test, Target asked us to come see him. I'm like, oh my God, we're like, we're dead in the water. I can't believe they're going to make us fly there just to tell us we're out. And again, another lucky break. A new buyer came on the desk. She saw how incremental we were. She saw how profitable we were. And she gave us national distribution. And, you know, Target, God, will probably do almost 200 million in sales of, of Method this year. It's just been an incredible success story. And the lesson was just persistence. Like we, we believed in our vision we just stayed persistent. And a lot of times, you know, with launching a company, every day you're alive is a day you're winning and just building, building momentum. Um, and it's a cliche of, you know, you've been there, you know, it's a cliche of startups, but persistence, you know, at the end of the day is, is, is really your best friend and in, in success here. Yeah. Well, I think there's two lessons. Staying alive is, uh, you know, part of, I think, being successful, right? And that's, uh, and however you can do that, uh, whether it's, you know, funding or, you know, making sure that you have products that consumers want, right? All of those things, but also buyer changes happen all the time, right? Good and bad. And it's, um, I remember years ago, somebody said, you know, never get kicked out of a Target or Walmart or any of this. I mean, you know, there's been times when we haven't been able to work things out. You've got to do what's right for your business and, and uh, you go on the sidelines for a while and then you come back in. And, uh, and I think that that is, that is a lesson that so many entrepreneurs can learn from. But, uh, but did she know that you guys had, you know, soap running all over the shelves and, and that? Thing- oh. <laughs> yeah. Of course not. Of course not. We had that the best, the best we could. Um, it's also a good, good lesson to nail it before you scale it that, you know, unfortunately we weren't going to get that distribution without that product. I mean, we literally, um, had our first working product, you know, moments before shipping it. Um, so not ideal, but if we'd not taken a risk with that design, we would never have gotten distribution. So, um, 
yeah, as an entrepreneur, you know, every day you just try to stay in the game that opens up opportunities for for luck and um, just keep pushing your learning. People always ask me when raising money, uh, you know, and you've done it a few times with all of your brands. I mean, what do you think is like the key thing that you've learned about, you know, your decks, your, you know, your pitches, the investors, all of those things? Like what, what would you say to a friend who's starting out and doing their first, like, what do you, what do you look for? Or what, what do you really want to get across? I mean, it, it is a story, right? It, talking about storytelling. I mean, what, what do you want to get out there for that person? I, I'm kind of a weirdo in this way. I love raising capital. I'm a, I, I like to get my inner Don Draper on and <laughs> really go out and, and pitch and sell a story. Eric, you're sick. Like I have never heard a founder say this and it's a, it's a great, great thing. I love it. But as you know, like when you're raising capital, every meeting is a good meeting and it's like Hollywood. Like nobody wants to risk, you know, missing out. Um, But at the same time, very few are, you know, committed to, to moving forward. So I think one of the my secrets is to try to avoid asking for the money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit of what Madoff did, right? You don't ask for the money. Mm-hmm. You create, you create, you have to create a sense of scarcity value. Like fundraising is very psychological, and you have to create a sense of you know confidence, momentum, to be able to get on you know investors to to, to come in. So one of the things I do, I mean, I obsess over, you know, pitch decks and stories and, you know, how do you tell the story? But I think two things I try to do is, you know, one, I'm, I, I'm really open, honest, and authentic. Like I don't go in trying to sell. The way I always think about it is, that, you know, the act of fundraising is the real gift of it is not trying to prove yourself, but improve yourself. It gives you the opportunity to put your plan in front of a lot of smart people and the gift of that feedback is what allows you to make that plan smarter and smarter. So I go into fundraising, not trying to sell somebody on why you should come in, much more on like a debrief. I'm sharing you my plan. Here's how we're thinking about it. I would love your feedback, good, bad. You know, we're always, we're smart enough to know that we're not smart enough that this is right. Um, so I always go into fundraising trying to, to improve myself more than prove myself to get, get the capital. and then. I usually try to avoid asking directly and I more lay out, here's the, the type of investor we're looking for. Because at the end of the day, if they're interested in investing, of course, they're going to you know, initiate that. So you don't have to ask for the money. It's much more about exposing yourself to as many people as possible, telling a great story, getting feedback, and then the right people you know, will come Long forward uh, to participate in the round. When you say uh, type of investor, what, like what is your your favorite type of investor these days? Does it depend based on all of your different investments or or what would you say knowing you've dealt with a lot of different investors? What is the favorite? Yeah, so the track record of you look, if you look at the cap, if you lined up the cap tables of all the companies I've started, almost everybody on that cap table is either a former or current operator. Mm-hmm. And for me, I learned this really early on. I was when I was pitching method. Um, I think it was Jim McCain at 1-800-Flowers. It was a big deal for me. You know, I was in my 20s and like, you know, the founder of 1-800-Flowers, like I have this pitch with him. And 
I remember him looking me in the eyes and I realized he's not judging my plan. He's judging me. And he's trying to decide regardless of my plan, if he backs me, am I going to figure out how to make this successful? And then I pitched Howard Schultz and I had the same reaction to him from him. I realized like they were so much more focused on me mm-hmm. than the plan where when we were pitching professional investors who had never operated before, they would go so deep into the plan. And you know, the plan's fiction. Like the one thing I can tell you is like, this plan won't happen. We'll either beat it or we'll miss it. And I realized the lesson very early now as an investor myself, that as a founder, the plan's never going to get executed the way you think it is. You've got to just be so open-minded to take advantage of the learning and adjust along the way. And it's really the people you support. So I really understand the value of surrounding myself with great operators who are going to get in the trenches with you and help you solve how to make this business successful along the way. No, I think that's critical. And also know that, you know, you can paint the crystal ball or the canvas, but there's things that are going to happen along the way that as long as you know why they happened and what you learn from them along the way that, uh, and, and how you're pivoting and all of those things, I think it's really, really, really critical. So incredible. I mean, you are just, uh, just a wealth of knowledge and learnings for sure. And have built incredible, successful brands. I can't wait to see cast and we'll definitely come into uh, the store when it opens? You said late summer? Late late summer. It's so funny, as you know, like we're so used to shipping products to major retailers. And like when you're actually building a store, particularly with COVID supply chain, how slow the whole thing moves. But yes, we are targeting late summer and um, cannot wait to open those doors. That's amazing. Are you still involved in the other brands? Um, so I still, I continue to work with Unilever and I'm a really close partner. With them, I'm working across their entire health and wellness collective. I, I could not have asked for uh, a better better partner in Unilever. They've been fantastic. Um, so yeah, Ollie and Welly, I'm still very, very involved with, but um, I root very loudly for Method, but no longer uh, no, no longer involved. Not involved in it. Well, it, amazing, amazing things are going on and uh, definitely you are one to follow for sure. So thank you. Where do people follow you, by the way, on social and and uh, hopefully you'll write another book at some point and, and uh, share some more of your stories too. But where do people follow you? You know, I've done an absolute terrible job of social media, so um, I'm going to get back into it. But I've been so busy between chasing kids and building companies that I, I've been completely, completely off social media. I am not, a, uh, uh, I'm not normal in that way, but I'm going to get back to it. Well, we will follow you in in the brands along the way. Exactly. <laughs> I'd rather you follow the brands than me. Absolutely. <laughs> You're the real star. Thanks so much. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Definitely uh, check out Eric's newest company, Cast. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to The Kara Golden Show, where we have incredible guests, including um, people like Eric, who are creators, disruptors, uh, CEOs who are doing amazing things that we can all learn from and have great stories uh, to share with everybody. 
Uh, Definitely give this episode five stars. It makes a huge difference in the algorithm. And uh, we are now in the top 1% of entrepreneur podcasts throughout the world, which is is so, so cool. Um, And uh, I can be found on all social platforms at Kara Golden. Uh, Definitely, uh, if you haven't picked up my book or downloaded it, it's called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. Uh, Also, my company that I founded, Hint. Um, Hopefully, you'll get a chance to have uh, have one of those waters. And um, we're here every Monday, Wednesday, and now added Friday to the lineup. So hopefully uh, you'll be listening and we'll hear from you and all of that kind of stuff. So thanks again, Eric. And thanks everyone for listening and goodbye for now. Thanks, everybody. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.